folks, who wants to save money and drive to the bottom line in their portfolio? This week on the Pre-Rail Podcast, we have Eric Oliver from the Cost Segregation Authority. He walks us through some cost segregation uh, tips and tricks and some neat new things. It was really informative for me. Uh, the 179D, the 45L, these are uh, amazing tools in the toolbox here and money that's available for us to take advantage of that most of us are not. We're so damn busy hustling and working to build our portfolio. We're not taking advantage of all of these opportunities to save on taxes. And that's the best, quickest, easiest, cleanest way to drive revenue, right? Is to optimize your current portfolio, not stack doors, not stack square footage. There's a time and a place for that but it should be after you've optimized it. So this week, please give it a listen. Eric Oliver, tremendous information, really valuable stuff. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We're joined today by Eric Oliver. Eric is the Vice President of Business Development with Cost Segregation Authority. He holds a Bachelor of Applied Sciences in Accounting uh, from Westminster. He's got an, an interesting background, and we're going to focus today, folks, on cost segregation. We're going to take it kind of from the beginning and really start small with what cost segregation is uh, at its truest form, and we're going to work through uh, some of the changes that we've seen in the CARES Act and how it, it uh, can impact you and and ways to optimize the portfolio, because that's what we're all here for. With that, Eric, thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, no, glad to be here, James. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, man, I appreciate you you, you getting on. We were talking uh, before we started recording in the, the green room, if you will. Uh, Eric, as we all seem to be, is suffering from pretty bad allergies. So I appreciate you being a trooper today and, and hanging in there with us, man. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully I won't cough my way through this. I'll just hit mute if I've got a cough or sneeze. So <laughs> I apologize in advance. All good, man. We're here for your wisdom. So let's jump right in. Uh, could you spend a minute or two on your background for the audience just to get a sense of who Eric is? You were living in Long Island. You've now moved out west. You know, where did this all start for you? Yeah. So just kind of taking it back to my college days, my my background is in accounting. So um, when I was in college, I hated writing papers and um, math always came somewhat easy to me. So I'm like, okay, how am I, what's the quickest way I can get out of here? And it was either finance or accounting. So I got an accounting degree, um, never really used it, got into sales, um, which took me to the East Coast. I was born and raised in Salt Lake um, and took a sales position in Virginia, lived there for 12, 12 to 13 years. Um, Met my wife. My wife's family was my wife was born and raised in Long Island, New York. Um, and so after doing sales, um, I decided to go work with her father. Her father has a landscape business he's had for 30 years. He was looking to retire. And so wanted to go up there, learn the business from him. We were going to buy the business. Um, things didn't work out. He uh, 
decided he didn't want to retire after we had been up there for five years. And so we decided to head out west. So I would like I said, I was born and raised in Salt Lake. Um, when I came out west, didn't know what I wanted to do, um, was just looking online for different jobs, came across cost segregation, didn't even know what it was myself. Um, I had had one rental property prior to that, but was unaware of what cost segregation was. Started looking into it, and I'm like, wow, this is this is interesting stuff. And with my accounting degree, it might not be a bad occupation. So took a job with Cost Seg Authority, been doing this for seven years now. Um, love what I do, love learning about real estate, um, get to meet great uh, mentors throughout the country um, in terms of real estate and accounting. And so um, really love what I do now and, and been able to help people save money through cost segregation on their taxes, which has been great. Cost segregation is highly specialized. Uh, it's something that you hear thrown around quite a bit, but very few people really are experts in it. And we love the fact that your firm does cost segregation. It's not part of 52 other services that you provide. Is that, is that accurate? That is accurate. Yeah. So we just, we've got three services here at our company and that's deliberate. Um, we want to partner with CPA firms and investors across the country. And so we don't do tax returns here at our firm. We, we will partner with CPAs and say, Hey, let us be the specialist when it comes to this cost segregation. You guys file the tax returns. You guys are the specialist in that area. But when it comes to real estate and taxation, um, you know, let us be the specialist. And I always look at it like, you know, your CPAs are kind of like general practitioners. They, they have to know a little bit about a whole lot of different subjects, you know, earned business income, child tax credits, audits. And they don't just, it's not that they're negligent. They just don't have the bandwidth to dive deep into depreciation in real estate. Some, you know, some CPAs will specialize in real estate, but most are kind of your general practitioners. And so that's really where we come in, partner with them, get them involved and say, hey, you've got a client who owns real estate. Is there an opportunity there for us to use our expertise to save them some money on their taxes? And so uh, most CPAs are pretty open to, uh, letting us come in and work with their clients in that capacity. At its core, what is cost segregation? What is depreciation? Sure. So um, let's start with depreciation. So the IRS allows you to depreciate your real estate. So real estate, if you think about a building, every year you own that building, it becomes older and older. And in theory, it's worth less and less. Now, that's not always the case with markets, and but the building itself the stucco on the outside is worth less in year 10 than it is the first year you get it, for example. So the IRS knows that these buildings are going to deteriorate. And so they allow us to take a expense or a depreciation expense every year against our income. So for residential units, your multifamily units, those all get depreciated over 27 and a half years. Commercial units, you know, retail office, that gets depreciated over 39 years. And that makes sense. You know, a, a residential unit where you've got people living in those units, they're going to deteriorate at a faster rate than an office building that's open nine to five. So that's why you see the discrepancy that you got 27 and a half versus 39 years. Um, just to make the math easy, let's say I buy a single family home for 275,000. In theory, I'm going to get a $10,000 write-off every year for the next 27 and a half years. You just take that, your building value. And I, I kind of oversimplified. You do have to pull the land value out. Land is non-depreciable. So, mm -hmm. but if you've got a building and the building is purchased for 275,000, you take that, divide it by 
27 and a half years, that's a $10,000 write-off every year, which is great. That's why a lot of us get into real estate is for some of these tax benefits or, or one of the reasons why. But what if I'm not going to, I'm not going to own my building in 27 and a half years from now. I, you know, I've got a, a five-year plan. I'm going to fix it up, let it appreciate, and then I'm going to sell it. Um, I want my deductions now versus spread out evenly over 27 and a half years. And the way you do that is through an engineering-based study called cost segregation, where you actually go into that building. When I buy a single family home, I'm not just buying the land and the walls. I'm also buying some appliances. I'm buying some concrete in my driveway. I'm buying some trees and some bushes and some shrubs and some mulch and some countertops and flooring. All those things I mentioned, the IRS says you should depreciate those. They don't last 27 and a half years. You should depreciate those at a faster rate. And so through a cost segregation study, a firm will come in and they will identify the different assets within your building that can be depreciated at a faster rate and move those into different buckets per se. Now, there's a number of reasons why you want to accelerate depreciation. There's time value of money. You know, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar 27 and a half years from now. Um, there's uh, inflation is a hot topic. You know, inflation is going up, time value of money. So I want my as much of my deductions that I can get. I want them now versus letting the IRS hold on to these. And so that's why when you segregate your building into different components, it allows you to front load or take that depreciation at a faster rate. So um, let's dispel a few rumors, if we will, out of the gate. So you, you addressed the land one already. Um, can I depreciate a primary residence? No. So revenue generating properties. So okay. yeah, you're not allowed to depreciate your primary residence. Second home. Maybe. <laughs> if you if you're smart with leases and and you you write it yes. up the right way. Okay. Yes, if it's set up the correct way, yes, you can. You just can't in theory you can't spend more than 14 days a year there. Um otherwise it's considered a second home which you cannot depreciate. But yeah. It can definitely be set up. A lot of people will set up their second homes. They Airbnb them while they're not there. Mm -hmm. And you can take depreciation on those. If I accelerated depreciation on a building and I'm essentially writing those losses off today, I can use that to offset earnings in other places. Correct. Yep. Okay. It doesn't have to be, you know, you do a cost seg on this building. It can only offset income from this building. It, it, can, it creates a passive deduction that can offset any other passive deduction you have in your portfolio. Right. So folks, for most if you, people, there are some active, active deductions for real estate professionals, but for the most part, it's a passive deduction that can be used to offset passive income from any other source. A lot of uh, changes came down with the CARES Act. For those who don't know, it's the, uh, I believe it's the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. Is that right? Very good. Right. Yes. So uh, in the CARES Act, there were some changes as far as the amount of years you're allowed to depreciate your asset over, correct? Um, not quite. So let me just back up a step. So the CARES Act, the big changes on the CARES Act were some of those energy credits we talked about. So we'll, we'll touch on those here in a second. With the, there was a few things that affected cost segregation with the CARES Act, being able to carry back some of your deductions. But I think what you're referring to, James, it was the um, now I'm drawing a blank. It was the um, it was the Donald Trump tax overhaul 
the um, that was in 2017. Okay. Uh, the Jobs I, Act. Jo there you go. Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I'm like yeah. drawing a blank here. Yeah, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, something came out, or something called bonus became more prevalent. Bonus depreciation had been out for a number of years before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And the government uses bonus depreciation kind of as a lever to stimulate the economy. So if the economy is not doing well, then they'll increase bonus. If it's doing well, they'll decrease bonus. When Donald Trump was president, obviously Donald Trump owns real estate. And so there were some changes made with that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that are very important for real estate investors. And that is that they changed the way that bonus was realized. So prior to 2017, in order to take advantage of bonus, you had to buy something brand new. It couldn't be an existing piece of equipment or an existing building. You would have to build a brand new building. And it was 50% bonus at the time. Um, after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that changed dramatically. So the two things that changed is one is it became 100% bonus, which was massive. And two, they added five words quite, I mean, it was pretty slick the way they did it. They added five words to the tax code that said, new to you, the taxpayer. So no longer had to be, I, I didn't have to go out and buy a brand new bulldozer. I could go out and buy a used bulldozer. That used bulldozer is new to me, the taxpayer. Yep. And now I get to take bonus on it. So let's talk quickly about how this impacts real estate. So in the past, in order to take advantage of the bonus, you had to build a new fourplex. You couldn't buy an existing fourplex. With the changes to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it allows you to now go buy an existing fourplex. But remember that fourplex by nature is a 27 and a half year asset. Bonus only applies to assets that have a useful life of 20 years or less. So a lot of your CPAs out there are like, well, you can't take bonus on real estate because real estate's a 27 and a half year asset. You know, I'm reading my tax book here. It says in order to take bonus, I've got to have an asset of 20 years or less. What they don't realize is that if you do a cost seg study on your fourplex that you just purchased, we're going to come in and we're going to identify all the five-year assets, things like carpets, countertops, cabinets, appliances, ceiling fans, garbage disposals. We're going to put a value to all those components. Those all have a useful life of 20 years or less. So now they are eligible for bonus. And guess what? It's not even 50% bonus. Remember, it's 100% bonus. And what that means for real estate investors is whatever value we put to those five-year assets, you get to write off or depreciate 100% of those in the first year. So you're taking a five-year asset that normally gets split up over five years, which that's great because that's way better than 27 and a half. But now I'm taking this five-year asset and I'm depreciating it all in the first year. My understanding of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm certainly not an expert on this, I can take the full value of that piece of equipment. Let's say I put 10% down and I finance the balance, right? So I'm only sure. out of pocket 25 grand. I've got a payment that's three, 4,000 a month. I could take a full $250,000 deduction that year. Correct. Yep, you hit it on the head. That's a wow. 100% bonus. Now, one thing to be aware of is 100% bonus. You would have had to buy that piece of equipment, that excavator, between 927 of 17, so September 27th of 17, and 1231 of 2022, so the end of last year. 
that was that hundred percent golden era i call it because you could take like you said you you finance it so you're only coming out of pocket twenty five thousand, but you're getting a hundred or two hundred and fifty thousand dollar deduction which a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar deduction at a thirty percent tax bracket you know do the math on that that's you know close to a hundred thousand dollars in tax savings if you can absorb it so that's that was anything within that time window starting in 2023 if i go buy that same excavator for 250,000 instead of getting a 100% bonus i'm now eligible for 80%. so we have a, what we call a phase out period where bonus is phasing out 20% every year starting this year till 2027 when it phases out to zero. so this year i would get you know i don't i can't do the math in my head what's 80% of 250 uh, 160 plus another 40. So that's 200,000. So you get a $200,000 deduction versus the full 250. That extra 50,000 that are that extra 20% that's left over, that just gets spread out over the useful life of the asset. But so that goes back to a straight line calculation for the balance. Correct. Yeah. Depending on the asset, it may or may not be straight line, but yes, you spread it out evenly, not evenly, you spread it out over the useful life of the next couple of years. So if it, let's say a bulldozer is a 15 year asset, you would get 80% in year one, the other 20% gets spread out over the next 14 years. Now we used a, a piece of equipment in, in this scenario. Does it apply to real estate proper? Yeah, yeah, let me give you a quick example on real estate. So let's say you buy a million dollar eightplex. Let's say we determine the land is worth 200,000. So now you've got 800,000 of what we call depreciable basis. You do a cussing study on that $800,000 building. On a multifamily, we usually find somewhere around 30% of the assets in that building are short-term assets. So 30% of 800,000 would be $240,000 worth of short-term assets. Again, that's us coming in saying the carpet's worth 20,000 driveways worth 80,000. We're going to come up to somewhere around 240,000 or 30% of your building. That 240,000 is all, all in cl in class life's less than 20 years, which means it's all eligible for bonus. So if you bought that building this year in 2023, you're going to get 80% of 240,000 that you get to write off in the first year. So 80% of 240 uh, I could tell you real quick, 240 times 0.8. That's $192,000 write-off in the first year. Now, remember a million dollar building, if you put 20% down, you're, you know, you're, you're out of pocket 200,000, but you're getting $192,000 write-off um, for that building in year one, which is so amazing. In this new window that we're in, and how long does this window last? This is one year, each 20%. Yeah, so the 80% bonus lasts through the end of this year. So any properties that you buy and place into service in 2023, they're eligible for 80%. It, it's not about stacking doors and stacking square footage. It's about optimizing first. And I think we're doing ourselves a tremendous injustice. We all work so damn hard for our money. If we're not exploring all of these avenues thoroughly with an expert that understands it far better than we do. Yeah. And I'll just add to that, James, you hit it on the head. You know, I, I'm trying to remember the gentleman I talked to, but he he put it perfectly. He said, as investors, we're always looking to play offense. We're always looking to go buy the next door. 
what we lose focus of is playing defense and all that money that we've earned. And so how do we maximize it? And one way to maximize that money we've earned is by reducing our tax bill. And it's something that a lot of people, like you said, we're so focused on playing offense that we forget, hey, if I just play a little bit of defense, you know, it doesn't matter if the other, if you score 200 points in a basketball game, if the other team scores 201, you've lost. Yep. You've got to play some defense here. And we oftentimes will lose focus on, and you, you've hit it on the head. I, I, I appreciate you bringing that to, to their attention because that is something that goes underutilized quite often is, hey, just go buy another building. Let's go buy, let's go build, let's go do this. It's like, wait, we can make just as much money with this stuff we have if we could just reduce our tax bill. And we've got all this property that we've never done a cost seg on. And if I can create a hundred thousand dollars in tax savings, that's just as good as go buying, you know, X amount of doors. And so oh, it's, it's far better brother. Cause you don't have yeah. the extra calls, the extra maintenance, the extra payrolls, sure. the extra insurance, <laughs> the extra headaches. Right. Right. And we're no, so, yeah. we're so focused on, on, you know, pedaling the bike and, and, and moving yeah. this thing forward that we forget there are ways to do this. So, yeah. uh, especially today with, with all the craziness out there, I, I think we have to slow it down enough to pay more attention. I know we are for sure with, with our existing holdings. So let's, let's jump real quick and talk about the 179D and the 45L. Now those did come from the CARES Act. Correct. Yeah. Well, okay. some changes to those did come from the CARES Act. Yes. Okay. Can you talk the audience through what these benefits are? Yeah. So um, the 179D, let's jump into that first. The 179D is a deduction that's eligible for developers who are developing new commercial real estate. So if you go buy a, if you go buy an existing building, it wouldn't apply to you. But if you build or expand an existing commercial space, or excuse me, if you build, yeah, or expand an existing commercial space, do tenant improvements, you may be eligible for a portion or all of this deduction. Now, what this deduction is, is currently for the 2022 tax year, I'll talk about that because that's kind of the still, still where we are in terms of tax timeline. For 2022, it was $1.88 per square foot of a deduction that you may be eligible for if your building that you constructed, your commercial building is energy efficient. Now you do have to have a third party come out. They do some modeling. They'll look at the windows. They'll look at the insulation. They'll look at the HVAC, the lighting. If they determine your building is energy efficient, you may be eligible for that $1.88 per square foot as a deduction. Now, the nice thing about that deduction is it just comes off of the, the basis of your building and you never have to recapture that upon sale. So um, one of the most underutilized tax deductions for real estate investors that I'm aware of is that 179D. Now, just keep in mind, it is for new construction or tenant improvements on the commercial side. It's for tenant improvements on new only or the tenant improvements? Improve an existing building. So if I buy, let's say I buy an office building and I go in and I put in a new HVAC and new lighting. I may be eligible for a portion of that $1.88 per square foot. Wow. Wow. So, okay. Again, I, I want to make sure I'm capturing this and, and giving it back to the audience. Let's say we're going to build a 50,000 square foot building new. We're going to build a retail center, an office building, whatever it is. We would be, we would do this study and we would be eligible for what would amount to $94,000 very good. Right? Yeah. $94,000 deduction. So remember, that's a deduction wow. that comes off your taxable income. 
Um, and the nice thing is, is you can actually go back. So a lot of people were unaware, a lot of CPAs were unaware of these deductions in the past. You can actually go back to anything you've built since 2005, do the study today or the certification today, take those deductions on your 2022 tax return without having to amend any prior years, which is great. There's some forms you fill out that says, hey, we missed this deduction. We're going to take it now. Here are the forms. And you're able to take those deductions on your current tax return. From 2005? Yeah, anything that was built from 2005 forward. Wow. Okay. That's the 179D. Correct. Okay. What about the 45L? So the 45L is a tax provision that allows, it's a similar program, but it's a credit versus a deduction. So I just want to make that distinction. Remember, a deduction comes off your taxable income. A credit comes off your actual tax bill. So it's a little bit more powerful in terms of if I've got a $75,000 credit versus a $75,000 deduction, I want the $75,000 credit all day long. Sure. Right? So this is a credit that comes off of your tax bill for the development and construction of energy efficient residential units. So the IRS determines a residential unit by four criteria. You've got to have a place to eat, sleep, prepare food, and use the restroom. So whether that's a single family home, whether that's student housing, senior housing, um, if it meets that criteria and it's considered energy efficient, again, you do have to have a third party come certify it. We're going to be looking at stuff again, like the HVAC, the insulation in the walls, the windows, all that stuff. If it meets the certain qualifications, you're eligible for a $2,000 credit per dwelling unit in 2022, that number jumps to 2,500 for stuff put in service in 2023, but $2,000 credit per unit. So if I build a fourplex, my fourplex is energy efficient according to IRS standards, and we have somebody come in and certify it, I'm going to receive a certificate that allows me to take an $8,000 credit against my taxes for 2022. Let's say you're, you're building at scale, you're putting up 100 units, and your tax bill for that year is $600,000, you would get a $200,000 credit on that $600,000. Correct. Yep. Instead of paying $600,000, you are paying four hundred dollars because the units you built were energy efficient. Now, I should add the 45L program, it doesn't allow you to go back as far as 2005 because you would have to amend your tax return. So you can only go back three years on this through that amendment window where the IRS allows you to change your returns. But I can't tell you, James, how many times I've met with large developers who are building three, four, 500 units a year and have never heard of the 45L tax credit. And if they don't take advantage of it within that three-year window, it's gone. There's no going back and reclaiming those deductions or those credits. So um, very important stuff. I think I don't understand why it's so unutilized. The only thing I can think is the IRS did allow some of these programs to expire. And then at the end of the year, they would reinstate it. So there was some confusion, but um, two of the most underutilized credits and deduction, 179D-45L. The good news is with the CARES Act, with the, um, with the Inflation Reduction Act at the end of last year, the 179D has been made permanent. 
So that program will be around for a while and it is indexed for inflation. So the deduction will continue to go up. So I mentioned $1.88 per square foot for 2022. That number actually goes up to $2.50 all the way up to $5 for 2023 on a sliding scale, depending on how energy efficient your building is. This is remarkable stuff. Yeah, so, and then the 45L, as I mentioned, goes from 2,000 up to 2,500. So they are indexed for inflation, but um, powerful stuff that gets missed quite often for real estate investors or developers. Eric, can you talk a little bit about the company? Uh, are there only certain states you operate in? Or if someone someone wants to now take the step, right? How do we get engaged? What do we do? Sure. So, um so we're headquartered out of Salt Lake City, Utah. We do operate in all 50 states. We do studies in all 50 states. Um, always get an analysis done beforehand. Most cost-save companies, most energy credit companies will do an analysis beforehand. So for example, you're building 100 units. I would say, hey, James, send me the, the, the blueprints. Let me take a look at them. And I can pretty accurately tell you whether or not you're going to qualify for these credits based off the information in those prints. Um, at that point, if you do qualify, you would engage us. We do. We would come out, look at the property, identify the different units that are out there that qualify. Same thing on the cost seg side. The IRS does require that we do a site visit. Um, once that site visit's done, we're going to provide you and your and your CPA the either the certificate or the report to be able to take advantage of these deductions. Um, I should add on the cost seg side as well. Always get an analysis done. Um, most companies do those analysis. We do them for free. You tell us, hey, this is the address. This is what I paid for it. This is how long I've owned it. This is the type of building it is. Within 24 to 48 hours, I can come back to you, James, and say, okay, you bought an apartment building in 2017. We think, and you bought it for $3 million. We're going to give you a conservative amount of at least a, you know, a $400,000 increase in depreciation in the first year. And can you use that? We'll get your CPA on the on the phone. You know, your CPA, we want to partner with your CPA. They don't, they don't have the bandwidth to, to, to keep on top of all these different programs. And so we'll partner with them and say, hey, we can create a $400,000 deductions for James, but does James need it? You know, does he have the income to offset that deduction? Oh, oh no, he doesn't? Okay, that's fine. We'll just do it next year. Oh, James has some carryover from last year on a cost seg study he did, so he doesn't need any additional deductions. So we'll we'll partner with your CPA and strategize how to maximize the savings because you want to use these deductions and these credits in years where you're in those high tax brackets. And so, you know, we don't see the full tax picture. And so we want to get your CPA on the phone and say, okay, you know, what is, what is James' income looking like this year? What kind of other deductions does James have? And can he use these? And is this the right time? And so that's kind of the process. Okay, so as always, all the links and information will be below, uh, folks. Before I let you go, Eric, is there any other high-level things here that we're missing? Any other layups we should lay out there for the audience? You know, there is one other thing we should probably talk about. It, um, and I won't get too far in the weeds because it can get quite technical, but one of the benefits of doing a cost segregation study is we actually are not only saving money up front, but when you sell that asset, we're able to create a permanent tax savings upon sell. And so I'll kind of back into this analogy because I think it makes sense from a high level. But if you buy a building for a million dollars, James, and you sell that building five years later for two million, when the IRS finds out about that transaction, 
they're going to say you had a million dollars of gain. You bought it for a million. You sold it for two million. And they're going to tax you on all that gain. The problem with that is because you didn't do a cost seg study, you're unintentionally telling the IRS that, yeah, my land is worth double. I bought it for a million, sold it for two million. My walls are worth double. But my dirty, nasty carpet in my eightplex is being sold for double what I paid for it. And it shouldn't be that way. Your carpet shouldn't be sold for more than you paid for it. But because you haven't broken your carpet out of that transaction, <coughs> excuse me, because you haven't broken the carpet out, everything's lumped together as that one building. There's no way for you to not pay tax on your carpet. But when you do a cost sake study, carpet actually, this is a good example, carpet's a five-year asset. So what is the book value of your carpet in that example when you've owned it for five years? Zero. Has no value according to the IRS. So why are you selling it for double what you paid for it and paying tax on that gain? You shouldn't be. So that's one of the added benefits of doing a cost sake study. When you sell the asset, you can allocate your sales price to the right things, not allocate it to your dirty, nasty carpet. So, so you would be able to actually pull those pieces out of the taxable proceeds? Yes. Yes. In theory, what you're doing is you're taking your deduction at a high level. So you're taking your deduction. When I bought this million dollar building and did a cost sake study, I took my deductions at 37% ordinary income rate. When I sell my building, I'm going to pay some of those back in the form of recapture and capital gains, but recapture caps out at 25% and your capital gain caps out at 20%. So take your deduction at a high rate, pay back a portion of it at a lower rate at a future date and save the spread. Wow. And that's really cost segregation sales price allocation, all that in a nutshell, take it at a high rate, pay back some of it at a lower rate at a future date, save the spread. And so I just wanted to make that point because a lot of CPAs will say, Eric, this is just a timing issue. If you take these deductions up front, you just got to pay them all back in the form of capital gains on the back end. I'm like, yeah, there's some truth to that, but I'm paying them back at 20%. I took them at 37% and I'm not even paying it all back because guess what? I'm not paying capital gains on my dirty carpet because I've owned it for five years and it's a five-year asset. So that's when the light goes off. All I have to say to a CPA is, you're telling me you're selling your carpet for double what you paid for it? And then they'll, they'll sit there and think and they'll go, well, damn, you're right. I am <laughs> selling the carpet for double what I paid for it. That doesn't make sense. And so that's when we can start the conversation and say, hey, we shouldn't be allocating our sales price to the carpet. You should allocate that to the building or the walls, but certainly not the carpet. Uh, this has been a, a fascinating chat, Eric. Thank you for, for kind of gutting through it. I know you're not feeling 100%. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> man, this is tremendous information, folks. Eric Oliver, Cost Segregation Authority, uh, really appreciate you. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. No, this was an absolute absolute pleasure. Always excited to deliver ways for the audience to to optimize that bottom line. Thank you for joining us, folks. As always, please stay safe.